All right. Um, I am here today with Sebastian Rushworth. Uh, Sebastian is an MD. He's a doctor in Stockholm who works in the ER. And so he had a lot of experience as COVID-19 started, as it, as it peaked. Um, he saw what was happening in the ERs there. Um, he has written a few articles that I think have been really great explanations. Um, the most, the more, more recent one that I saw had to do with um, the immune system. And he really just lays out how, uh, you know, the different types of, of immunity that we have, the different layers of the immune system. And this article was called Herd Immunity Without Antibodies. So let me just ask you, in the news, we hear, all we hear about is antibodies. You know, the, they're developing vaccines and they're checking to see how many antibodies they, they produce. And, you, you know, it's antibodies, antibodies, antibodies. So, um, but the immune system is not that simple, right? So, so could you just explain a little bit of what you talked about in this article? How, how can you have herd immunity without antibodies? Um, sure. So uh, I, I get the impression that uh, a lot of people think that, herd, that in, the immune system and antibodies are the same thing. Um, and, and actually antibodies are just one small part of the immune system. And I, I guess the confusion comes from the fact that in clinical practice, we're often testing for antibodies and we we often don't test for other things and and the reason for that is mainly cost it's it's cheaper and easier to just check antibodies but uh, so uh, i guess to, if i'm just going to take a step back and and describe the immune system uh, the immune system consists of of two fundamental parts the innate immune system and the adaptive immune system and the innate immune system is uh, is like the the body's first line of defense it reacts immediately the moment uh, an infection gets into the body but it has to be able to respond to lots of different types of pathogens it has to be able to respond to to bacteria viruses parasites and 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 that means that it's it's not very specific for any any one pathogen it's like it's kind of like a Swiss army knife. It, it can do lots of different jobs, but it doesn't do any one particular job extremely well. So it kind of, it, it holds the line while the other part of the immune system, the adaptive immune system ramps up because um, the first time the adaptive immune system discovers a new pathogen, it's, it's slow to wake up. So um and uh, so so the the innate immune system and the adaptive immune system both consist of, of of i guess the similar building blocks both consist of cells uh so the innate immune system has cells called macrophages uh, cells called neutrophils um and and and, and the number of other cells and these are kind of always present in the body, always ready to react. But like I said, they're not very specific. And, and, uh, and uh, while the adaptive immune system also consists of cells where the two main types are T cells and B cells. Um, and, and B cells are the cells that produce antibodies, which everyone is talking about. And, and the T cells 
are are much more complex. They do a lot of different things. Um, and then apart from that, both the adaptive and the innate immune system consist of, uh, of uh, molecules that do different things. So the innate immune system has something called the complement system, which is a, a, a type of molecule that, uh, that latches onto and, and destroys pathogens, mainly bacteria. And, and the adaptive immune system's kind of uh, version of the complement system is antibodies, which are also molecules that float around outside cells in the body and that can, can attack things that exist outside cells. Um, uh, okay, so, so I, I mentioned T cells and T cells, there are multiple different types of T cells. And, and the two most important types are T helper cells, also known as CD4 plus T cells, uh, which are kind of um, the brain of the adaptive immune system. And, uh, and the other part is T killer cells, also known as CD8 plus. T cells, and they are uh, basically uh, specifically designed to find and uh, destroy cells that have been infected by viruses. Uh, because the, the thing to understand about uh, antibodies is that, like I said, they can only exist outside cells. An antibody is a big molecule. It can't cross the cell membrane. And viruses are intracellular pathogens. So they're um, replicating inside cells and, and an antibody can bind to and, and maybe inactivate a virus that's in the bloodstream, but it can't do anything about the viruses that are replicating inside cells. And, and so that's where the T killer cells come in. They, they uh, go up to a, a virus infected cell and basically tell it to commit suicide in a way that locks the viruses inside itself. So it's in that sense, it's a much more central part of the uh, adaptive immune system when it comes to defending against viruses than, than B cells, which produce antibodies are. Um, I guess that's a very long-winded... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. That's such a great encapsulation. And there are so many things about what you just said that are really critical to what's going on now, because the first question that comes to my mind is, you know, it, it sounds from what you've described, like T cells are really better suited to viral infections because viruses are teeny tiny. They, they, like you said, they go inside the cell, they work from within the cell and, and the T cell, the kill, the T killer cells, that's what they do. They go, they, they can get into the cell and they can, they can, you know, attack that way. Um, whereas the antibodies can't go inside cells. They can only get things that are out in the bloodstream. So they're more suited to a bacterial infection or a parasite or something like that. So then the big question is, why are we hearing so much? Why is there so much of a focus on antibodies, not only in the media, but also, so I, I saw that um, AstraZeneca has now been given 486 million US dollars to test this antibody cocktail. Um, so yeah, so I guess my question for you is, why is there such a focus on antibodies, not only in the media, but also now in research? Um, I, I guess that's a kind of a hard question to answer. I think 
like I said, in, in clinical practice, doctors test for antibodies. We don't test for T cells. So I think uh, mo for most doctors who are not engaging in research, it's much uh, antibodies come to mind much more quickly than T cells do. And, uh, and, uh, and at the beginning of the COVID pandemic, we were, and still, we were, we've been doing two kinds of tests. We've been doing the PCR test to see if someone has an active infection, uh, which looks for uh, uh, basically small parts of the virus. That's what it can detect and, and the virus, the viral uh, RNA sequence. And we do, we do antibody tests, which are, are designed to see if someone has had an infection. And, and I think it, the reason we do that is because that's, that's what we do. That's how the, <laughs> the system is. We, yeah. When we are looking to find an active infection, we do a PCR test. When we're, we're looking for a past infection or immunity, we look for antibodies. And, and uh, looking for T cells is something that's done in, in research, but it's really not something that's become part of the clinical practice yet and i guess that's why why we have this situation where everyone's talking about antibodies like antibodies are the you know the only part of the immune system when it's actually much bigger than that and 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 um and so well to to uh, be a bit anecdotal so in the emergency room where I work, uh, we were all heavily exposed to the virus. Uh, and I think we were dealing with COVID for several weeks before we realized how prevalent it was. So we were all heavily exposed to the virus before we ever uh, started to put on PPE or protective equipment. And, and then after a a couple of months into the pandemic, everyone in the emergency room where I work was uh, allowed to do an antibody test. And when the when the answers came back, only maybe like five percent had antibodies, and that that mm -hmm. really surprised me. And that's what kind of got me thinking: like this doesn't make sense. I mean, I expected that we would all have antibodies, yeah. and only like five percent did. And and even though only five percent did. It, people weren't getting sick or I think a lot of people had like a mild cold at the beginning of the pandemic but but after that there was no more illness and I, I just uh, and and to me it was obvious that we must have considering how infectious COVID is and how exposed we were that we must all have been exposed uh, been infected and, and developed immunity and yet only five percent or so had antibodies and and so that's what got me thinking that that uh, maybe uh, maybe we have t-cell based immunity that's not showing up in antibodies or or maybe maybe a lot of people are producing a different type of antibodies because they're actually uh, I guess many people don't know this there are actually five different types of antibodies and and uh, what we're looking for in these blood tests is usually just one of those types, IgG. And, and so I, that's what kind of got me thinking. There, there must be something more to this. There must be a lot of people who have been exposed and developed, immuni developed immunity, but it's not showing up in these IgG blood tests.
Well, and and research now supports what you were thinking because there are several papers coming out showing that, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe some of them showed that people have T-cell response specifically to COVID-19, but then there are other people who are very very much protected against COVID-19 because of exposure to previous coronaviruses. Um, So... Now, how does that work? Because we have, I think, again, in the media, there's this sense that if you don't have an, if you don't have an antibody to a specific pathogen, you're not protected against it. It seems that the, the, the T-cell story that these people who have had exposure to previous coronaviruses, and that gives them some protection against COVID-19, is telling us a different story, that you don't have to have had exposure to that particular pathogen. Is that pretty much how, is that right? Uh, yeah, so, so there are multiple parts to this. There are, I guess, like pretty much everyone knows now, apart from COVID, there are four other coronaviruses, the so-called common cold coronaviruses that are kind of floating around, percolating in society continuously. And... Um, and uh, like you say, there have been studies coming out that show that uh, uh, a lot a lot of people have uh, have T cells that are that are cross reactive. So they're they've kind they've developed T cells that are specific for for these common cold T cell uh, common cold coronaviruses. But they these T cells also react to COVID and probably prefer uh, probably provide a level of immunity to COVID, even though the person has never been exposed to COVID. Uh, so that's, that's one part of it. And, and there, are also, there have also been studies that have come out that show that a lot of people after being infected with COVID uh, only develop T cells and don't develop an antibody response. And, and uh, that these people also seem to have a lasting immunity so so i think there are a lot of uh, different explanations for why only a minority have igg antibodies and yet the the rate of immunity seems to be much much higher than than you see if you just look at the antibodies Mm -hmm. and so what does that mean for measuring herd immunity you know when they there were reports coming out of sweden uh, i think a couple months back saying oh you know they've only got you know they they had expected to have high levels of herd immunity they're not that high the whole herd immunity theory is is you know underwater what this this seems to to cast a lot of doubt on that assertion yeah, so a couple of months ago, I was writing on my blog that for months, the, the rate of, uh, of hospitalization and death has just been dropping continuously, and, uh, it, and that this was in spite of the fact that when, when tests for antibodies were done, only maybe 20% in Stockholm had antibodies, and only maybe 5% in the rest of Sweden had antibodies. And and um uh i think i i think uh, well i think you need to look at what's happening in, in the population i mean herd immune no one knows what the level of herd immunity is no one knows how many 
how big a proportion of people have to have antibodies or T-cells or whatever in order for herd immunity to happen. Herd immunity might happen when 80% of the population have been infected or it might happen when 20% of the population have been infected. No one knows what the number is. So, I mean, in a way, it's kind of a moot discussion. I think we have to look at what's happening in the population. If if the rate of, of hospitalization and death just drops and drops and drops, and then it's stable at a very low level, as it is in Sweden now and has been for several months, then to me that is, in spite of the fact that there is no lockdown going on, then to me that is a clear sign that herd immunity has developed in the population. Nothing else can explain that trend, uh, really, really regardless of what any uh, antibody test or other blood test shows. So, um, people, one other thing that's been in the news is this, this whole idea of reinfection, that you can get reinfected and that, you know, maybe the antibodies don't last very long. So, my, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but my understanding about how antibodies work is that you get infected, you develop antibodies, and then as the infection goes away, those antibodies wane and they, you either have lower levels or maybe they disappear entirely. It sounds to me like this, this narrative about the, the COVID-19 antibodies not lasting very long, is that any different from any other viral infection? Not really, uh, but uh, I don't think uh, people need to be worried if they notice that their antibody levels are dropping because, uh, well, p antibodies are produced by B cells, right? And after an infection, your, your active antibody producing B cells are going to drop. They're going to decrease and, and eventually they're going to disappear. But you also have memory B cells, which are dormant and, and which will be activated very quickly the moment the infection returns. So, I mean, just because you see that the person has had antibodies and then the antibodies have disappeared, that doesn't mean they're not protected anymore because it's very likely that they still have dormant memory B cells that are ready to become activated. Uh, and that's how it works with all infections. And um, I, I would say that the fact that there have only been a handful of reports of reinfection, and most of those reports are very questionable, it, to me that shows that people do have lasting immunity after being infected with COVID, immunity that lasts at least eight or nine months, since that is how long this pandemic has now been going on. Yeah. And it sounds from, from at least a couple of the studies about the T-cells that the T-cell immunity is also long-lasting. It's not, it's not something that... That's correct. I mean, I mean, antibodies disappear after a while, often, but but both T cells and B cells go into a state of dormancy where they can very easily be reactivated and, and, and they can last in your body for decades. Wow. So is this fair to say, is it, is it fair for me to say that the people who are, who were you know part of this study or, or whatever people have, um, T 
T-cell protection from previous coronaviruses. So not from co- not because they contracted COVID-19, but because in the past they had other coronaviruses and that's given them this T-cell product protection. Is it fair to say the reason they're protected now is precisely because they were not locked down and they were not prevented from having interaction with other people and forced to wear masks and all of that. Is that a reasonable argument? Um, well, I, I wouldn't go that far. I, I don't think, uh, uh, I, I wouldn't say that lockdown has, uh, has weakened people's immune systems. Uh, it, okay. it, if if that's what you're suggesting, I, um, what I would say is that uh, the evidence now shows clearly that COVID is not a very serious disease. Even the WHO is saying that the infection fatality rate is around 0.13 percent, which is basically like the flu and and probably the same as the other coronaviruses, the common cold coronaviruses. I mean. COVID's not going anywhere. It's here to stay. Uh, it's going to be part of, I mean, floating around in our populations for, for I mean, probably as long as there are human beings. And um, I think we just have to learn to live with it the same way we've been living with the other coronaviruses and other common cold viruses and influenza. Uh, I think... Uh, as more and more evidence has come to light, it's clear that COVID is no more dangerous than, than influenza or the other coronaviruses. And, and that's what makes me think that this whole uh, global response is completely disproportionate and is probably harming rather than helping if you look at the total picture. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I mean, when you look at the economic devastation and, um, you know, predictions that at least I think the latest one I saw was an additional 10,000 children per month in the third world will die from starvation because of these lockdowns. I mean, that, that alone, and then additional suicides, cancers going un, undiagnosed, untreated. I mean, it's it, in, in my mind, it's a crime against humanity. It's, I don't, I, I can't see any, any other way of, of describing it. Um, but from what you're saying, so one of the questions that's been in my mind is, you know, um, the fact that we that we build our immunity by being in contact with pathogens, and that that the lockdowns are 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 sort of a barrier to that. You're saying they're not really. You're saying the the lockdown measures don't really have. You don't expect them to have a measurable impact on. Um, contracting pathogens and and are being able to still come in contact with well i think i think that depends i i think uh, uh, i mean certain countries like say new zealand it's a small island it's far away from all other countries they've managed to lock down in a way where they've managed to completely stop spread of the virus and uh uh but sooner or later, they're going to have to open up unless they're willing to mm-hmm. wait for a highly effective vaccine, which is probably going to be years from now. So, I mean, they have a choice. I think most of the rest of the world is so interconnected. And I mean, 
if you look at some countries that went into lockdown and compare with Sweden that that didn't really lock down in any serious way, like, like say England, for example, there is no real difference in the number of deaths or hospitalizations between England and Sweden. Yeah. And, uh, and my interpretation is that they did a lockdown, but it was completely ineffective. And so they've basically gone through the same thing Sweden's gone through, except with a completely unnecessary lockdown. Um, right. Right. What do the what do the people in Sweden think about the rest of us? What do you guys what do you think about what's happening in parts of America and the UK and I don't think most Swedes think about it that much to be <laughs> honest. Uh, I I mean in in Stockholm where I live people are just getting on with their lives and I guess people are expecting that the rest of the world is going to face reality at some point in the near future and and uh, and and get on with your lives too yeah i mean i i, I sure hope so um you know because over here everyone's talking about sweden and you know have been for a while and i think i mean as you say i think it's it's just reality i think um you can't you know, the facts are out there, the numbers are out there. And at a certain point, you know, now, now people are trying to say, oh, well, they kind of did lock down and they behave and Swedes are just better people than we are. So they, you know, take more care and all this stuff. And it's just, you know, it's just, I don't know, at a certain point, I think people aren't going to buy that kind of thing anymore. Um, one final question I have for you, and I don't know, maybe this isn't your, your area, but do you have any thoughts on treatments for COVID-19 or is it being treated there differently from I, elsewhere? I don't think so. I think uh, Sweden goes along with the international consensus, which uh, uh, is right now basically that uh, you should try to avoid intubating and ventilating people as far as possible. Yeah. Um, and people with the severe COVID should be treated with the dexamethasone, which is the drug that's shown. Uh, that's the, the steroid, effect. right? It's a steroid. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, there are other studies that have shown a, a huge effect for vitamin D, but uh, it hasn't been discussed at all in, in the in the big medical journals and I think most uh, doctors are not aware of this and so I, I really don't think that's being tried or used uh, when it comes to hydroxychloroquine there there were some studies that showed basically zero effect in uh, a couple of months ago and since then I think doctors have completely stopped using hydroxychloroquine at least in Sweden. Interesting. Um, right. And I would say one more thing. Yeah. And that it's just something that I I think is interesting. It's uh, so uh, six thousand people have so far died of COVID in Sweden. Um, but if you look at the overall mortality statistics, they're very much in line with the with the average for recent years. So, so even though 6,000 people have died of COVID, supposedly there is no excess mortality 
Um, and and uh, I'm not denying that COVID is a real disease. I just think that most of the people who have died of COVID have been uh, uh, have been people who are old and frail and and with a lot of underlying illnesses, and they are people who mostly would probably have been dead by now anyway, even without COVID. And th there have been there's been some interesting data now showing that influenza is gone. The the last yeah. six months, there's no influenza. No one's getting influenza. No one's dying of influenza. And and I think it's because the people who would normally have died of influenza, they've died of COVID instead. And yeah. if if COVID hadn't appeared, these people would have died of influenza instead. So uh, I'm not even sure when we look at this at the end of the day that COVID will have caused any real noticeable excess mortality. Yeah, and that's interesting. With like in, in the U.S., <clears throat> the way that they count influenza deaths, they don't test everyone for the influenza virus. It's based on symptoms. And if you, know, you kind of look like, and that's been for years, that's just been the standard. So who knows, you know, in past years, there might have been some new, some other virus that was responsible for a lot of what were called influenza deaths. But because we weren't testing everybody, we didn't, you know, shine a light on it and decide to test everybody. Ivor Cummins had an interesting, he, he did a great graph about what you're talking about, um, showing that previous, and I think this was for Europe as a whole, that he might've done Sweden too, but showing for previous years, flu season, comparing it to this year's influenza, I mean, this year's COVID season, and the flu seasons, you know, that the numbers aren't that different. It's just spread out more. Whereas with COVID-19, you see this big spike, but it's shorter. So when you actually compare the numbers over past years, it, yeah, it's, it's not, it's really not that different. And, 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 you know, I guess we'll see, you know, at the end of the year, we'll look at it, but you're probably right that there's not going to be any excess mortality. Um, mm. And then uh, it'll be a big question. Why did we lock down? Uh, right. Why did the countries destroy their economies for, for, right. for this thing that is not killing any more people than would have died anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I hope that question does get asked um, in, in a serious way. So, thank you so much. Um, I'd love to have you on again and, sure. you know, as, as things develop. And, and um, yeah, thank you.